Well, hello everyone. <laughs> it's good to be here with you this morning, and everyone's such a long way away. Generally, I get everyone to sort of move close. So why don't you sit close to your TV screen right now, or, or next to your phone, wherever you're listening. And um, very good. Thanks, Simon. You make me feel a lot better. Uh, let's pray, hey, and, um, and then we'll get into the Word. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the Word, Lord, that you're the Word of God, and the Word became flesh, and it dwelt amongst us. Thank you that you are the image of of the invisible God, that you showed us the Father, that you revealed the truth about God to us, that you revealed the truth of this world to us, and you revealed the truth of who we are to us. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and move upon our hearts as we open up your word, and we ask that your word, combined with your spirit, would come and continue to transform our lives and continue to transform the world around us. In the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. So, um, I'm going to carry on the word that Liam was speaking on um, about being born again and speaking from Colossians uh, 2 verse 8 to 15. If you've got your Bibles, uh, we've got a few verses that we're going to be looking at today, um, but I just wanted to read that to you again to remind you of what Liam spoke on. So, Colossians 2 8 to 15, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the, element spirits of the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So the whole fullness of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwelt within him. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised. That means it's Currently, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power of the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by counselling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Isn't that glorious? What a glorious promise. What a glorious occasion that took place when we gave our lives to Jesus. You know, I wanted to discuss today the implications of righteousness. That's what we're talking about, the implications of being born again. Because I don't know about you, but for me, for many years, I'd heard this message, I'd read these passages, but for me, it was knowledge, but it wasn't reality, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't really like to read the instructions on things. So I'll get a new toy, I'll get a new phone or something, and I just throw it out and I self-discover. And, and, you know, it's, it's like getting a new iPad. And I remember once I, I got a, uh, this phone and I didn't realize that I could take, you know, those slow-mo videos those, you, you can record it and it has like 100 shutter speeds in a second and it slows it right down. So I had this camera for ages on my phone and I would just video things. But I, I didn't realize that you could do these slow-mo pictures. And um, I was with friends overseas. I think I was um, 
I think I was in Berlin or somewhere over there and it was snowing and my mate was showing me all these amazing photos of me jumping around in the snow with the snow coming down. I was like, that's amazing. How do you do that? And then he showed me the setting on my phone and I realized this phone that I'd had for the last, I don't know, two years actually had this setting right there, but I'd never used the function because I didn't know it was available to me. And I think for many of us, for at least for me, um, I'd heard about the gospel, but I hadn't actually given myself to understand what God had done. And I'd received a whole lot of teaching, and I'd, I'd sort of gathered pieces here and there by sitting in church, but I hadn't actually studied the work of the, the gospel, the work of salvation for myself. And so today I want to go into the implications of what Liam spoke about two weeks ago. What does it actually mean? What are the tangibles for us if we have been made righteous, if the sin nature, the sin has been removed from us, and we've actually been grafted in to God? Because that's what it says. It says that we are now in Him, just like the Father and the Son, the Father and the Holy Spirit live within Jesus, and He's brought us into Himself. But before He could do that, He needed to do something, Circumcision. Now, I don't know about you, but I love to talk about this topic because I'm a Jew and I love circumcision. <laughs> but it's so fascinating that circumcision is all the way through the Old Testament. It, it, it was a shadow and a type to reveal a final purpose for us as believers. And then Paul uses this language to explain what it means to be truly saved. And he says that the circumcision of the heart. Your heart has something wrapped around it that needed to be removed so God could access it. Yeah? Many people, uh, theologians have created language, we call it the sin nature. Now, you don't really see that anywhere else except for the NIV Bibles. In other places, it's known as the flesh, the sarks, and we could go into that a little bit more. But essentially, what The Bible says here in Colossians 1 is that when we get saved, and this is the implication, I want you to understand this, because most believers don't believe this, is that when you're saved, the sin nature is removed out of you. That's what salvation's all about. We've been saved from sin. So that means the first implication I want to put out there is that if we agree with what, what Liam spoke about last, two weeks ago, Colossians 2, the implication is that as believers, we're no longer sinners ruled by sin, carrying a sin nature in our heart, but we actually have had that cut off. He's removed the sin nature from us, and he's made us righteous. You need to own this as a believer. Because as a man thinks, so he is. If you believe yourself to be a sinner, and salvation is a sinner who's saved by grace, then you're living under the old covenant instead of the new. Because that's what the early, that's what the uh, Israelites were. They were sinners given a law that they could not completely abide to, and even if they did, it still didn't deal with the inner issue of the heart. Through Deuteronomy, God continually talks to Moses and the Israelites, and he says, 
you've got the law, but this is your issue. In Romans 2 and 3, he says that the law is there to reveal sin. What was the issue? The issue was, he says, that you have stiff-necked and you have uncircumcised hearts. The law was given to reveal the issue, and then the temple sacrifices were there as a way of covering the sin with blood sacrifices, but it never removed the sin. It never actually did a transformation on the heart. The whole purpose of salvation was that this issue of sin would be removed out of us. You need to own this as believers. So many believers that I talk to still see themselves as sinners. And guess what happens? If you see yourself as a sinner ruled by sin, then you're going to sin by faith. Because when sin comes along and you're tempted by it, you don't realize that it's a temptation. You believe it to be actually your heart. And if it is really your heart, then how can you resist who you are? And it gives you an excuse to sin. And so you sin by faith. Does that make sense? For a long time, I believed this. I believed that I was the issue. That the issue was within me. And that salvation was that God was here, Jesus covered me, but I was never truly changed because I was positionally righteous, not actually righteous. It was like God lived up in the spiritual world up there, but in reality here on earth, I was still a dirty, rotten sinner trying hard to please God, right? And somehow Jesus covered me so the Father could have a relationship with me, but I was not compatible with the Lord. That's not salvation. That's the Israelites. That's the Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant. And because many of us have experienced this reality, we've created great theology around this. We've created theologies called sanctification. We've called it positional righteousness. We've called it um, sinners saved by grace. In fact, we've actually used the word grace as this thing that God is wrapped up in sin, that God would look at me and he loves me even though I'm a sinner, and that's called grace. But the issue is that when you go to Scripture, it doesn't stand up. It may stand up in your reality. It may hold true with your past experience. The devil's very good at using experience to prove his lies. God is really good with you knowing the truth and that producing freedom in your life. The devil will use experience to prove lies God does it the opposite. He doesn't wait for your experience. He says, believe the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we're going to look at some passages here. But the first implication of the gospel is that you need to realize that you are no longer a sinner and that everything within you, if it's not sinful, is now pure, has been made holy and righteous. Let's turn to Romans 6, 6 to 10. If you really want to grapple and 
I encourage you, if you really want to understand, get the manual on the gospel, then you need to read through Romans because it's clearly outlaid. This is, the, this is the problem is that we can experience something but have no knowledge. And when you have no knowledge, then you don't know how to apply what's been given to you. That's why we have the Bible. If it was enough for us to have an encounter with God, and then that was the reality, that our heart would be transformed, and the transformation of our heart would mean that our mind was completely transformed, we don't need a Bible to to experience knowledge. But that's not how it is. He gave us the Word because the Word, be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. Amen? So Romans 6, let's have a look at this. And my life's been changed by this. To be, uh, I don't know about, like six years ago, my life got transformed by looking at the simple building blocks of the gospel. I've been a pastor for over four or five years. <clears throat> okay, Romans chapter 6. Are we all going all right online? Can you hear me okay? Awesome. Thank you. That's that's the most important thing. Pardon? Oh, really? I, my wife was like, what should I wear? I had this other thing on. She's like, wear this jumper. I'm like, oh, I barely wear it. So, Graham, you can have it afterwards. I'll leave it here. I'll sweat it up and leave it for you. Let's look at Romans 6, 6 to 10. He says this, we know. Okay, guys, this is important. He was talking to the Romans, to the early church. I want to ask you, do you know this? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Guys, get it. Salvation is being free from the slavery of sin. That's why he came. That was the problem he was the answer. We enter into eternal life when we set, get set free from sin. That's why if you've given your life to Jesus, you've entered into eternal life. Your sin nature does not get dealt with when you die. It doesn't get dealt with when Jesus comes back. He dealt with the sin nature on the cross. And then you experience that freedom through faith when you give your life to Jesus and He bury, you get buried with Him and then you get resurrected in Him and you're brought into Him. As the Colossians 1 says, you are now in God. How can you be in God and still a sin, carry a sinful nature when in God there is no sin? God is not yin and yang. We're not black and white. This We've... And we're going to unpack more of this theology around sanctification that is very, it was very practical. And I love Luther, but like, and he brought so much understanding around grace, but he didn't understand the finished work of the cross. And so for many of us, we've grabbed a hold of that message of sanctification. We've actually redefined words in Scripture to match our theology. In the Old Testament, sanctification which the writers of the New Testament used, because that was the meaning of sanctification, was when a priest was taken and he was sanctified, a man was taken and he was sanctified to be a priest before God, a high priest. Or I took this iPad and I would sanctify it, sanctify it and set it apart to be used in the temple. 
Was that a process? Well, it was. It was a very quick process. It might be sprinkled. It might be washed. And then sanctification was now it was set apart for the use of God. And its process of sanctification is that it would no longer be used for earthly things, but only to be used in the temple. That's sanctification. We've used sanctification. We've called it a completely different thing. We said sanctification is the process of someone slowly transforming from a sinner to a saint over a lifetime. That you're part evil, part good, but slowly the good will grow in you and the evil will slowly die. We've called it a journey. We've put language around it. We've written songs about it. I'm a broken pieces put back together. But that is not the gospel. God doesn't have brokenness in him. He has death and resurrection. So Romans 6 says, for one who has died has, 6 verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. So Paul says that when you give, gave your life to Jesus, you've died. I had three points, but I think I'm only going to get to the first point today. Because these points, the implications are so powerful if you start to see yourself right. The issue right at the beginning in the garden was an issue about believing the truth of God or not. Do I believe the lie of the enemy or do I believe the truth of God? Oh, maybe God's not as good as what I thought he was. Why would he not let me eat of this tree? Maybe he doesn't want me to be like him. Maybe God wants to be separate from me. He wants to, me to be sort of down here and he wants to be all powerful. And all. He doesn't want to share himself. That's what the devil positions. And then we've created that sort of language within the bride. And we've called it God's up there and a sinner here and he doesn't want equality. He doesn't want to share his glory with us. He doesn't want to share communion with us. And if you want to get there, then it's, it's what Jesus did plus your hard work to get there. And guess what happens? I lived there. Anytime I started to get free from sin, if I didn't get set free from sin at the cross, right? If I didn't get set free from sin and the sinful nature at the cross, and it was Jesus plus me fasting more, reading my Bible more, going to church more, being a better person, guess who gets the glory when I start to feel free? Me. Right? And what does leadership then look like in the church? It looks like people who tried harder, and I'm more mature than you and you, and that gives me the right to preach because I've prayed more. I know God more, and what does that produce? It produces spiritual pride. And what happens then? If I have spiritual pride, then I approach the throne room with my own works, and Jesus says... He says that he chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, lest any man should glory in his presence. And we wonder why in the church we have such breakdown between leadership and congregation. Why we have this authoritarian sort of spirit where we should be loving each other and laying down our lives for each other. But right in the psyche of our theology, we have this this, this theology around sanctification that actually makes me exalt myself above someone else. And it's deadly, and it's dangerous, and it's not the gospel. Because the Bible says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. 
We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Reading from Romans 6. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Because of this, because the gospel is this, is that you are found in Christ now. Jesus became you. He became born in the form of fleshly man. He's born of a woman. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday because I feel like when we start to talk about this sort of thing being in Christ, we sometimes we elevate it to something extraordinary as well. And we try to remove it. We think it's just those high points we have in worship or those encounters. The Lord spoke to me yesterday as I was building with Dave Kerr. We were doing some paving, trying to do some paving in the terrible rain. And I was out there freezing cold and the water starts coming down and the glue's washing out everywhere. And I'm like, this is not fun at all. And Jesus spoke so beautifully. And I, and I was thinking about this sermon today and I was like, hang on, I shouldn't get frustrated. I'm like, God, this doesn't feel like I'm in you. Like, this is hard work. This is not fun. And do you know what Jesus said to me? He said, the father was always in me. I was always in him. And I worked for 30 years with my dad on the tools. I was like, oh, Jesus became a living reality on earth. And he, he was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. Sure, he ended his ministry when he was 30 years old, but up to that time he was at home working. There's glory, there's union that God wants to have with us because he wants you to realize, this is the second point, that you're compatible with him. This is powerful that you are compatible with the living God. So let's keep reading Romans 6. So we're found in him. Jesus said this. He said, unless you're willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He said this to his disciples. You cannot be my disciple. We've called that sanctification again. We've called it a process from, you know, going from a sinner and we're slowly dying. And circumcision is this lifelong process of cutting off the flesh. But the flesh, the sinful nature was cut off at the cross. If we do that, that's a lifetime of torture. A slow cutaway of the flesh, and we said, that's what it means to take on my cross today. I'm going to die to myself because I have this sinful nature, and I'm dying to who I am. That is not the life of God. That's torture. And I remember getting so frustrated as a believer. I don't know about you, but up and down, up and down, good days, bad days, because I didn't realize who I already was, and I was defining myself by something I don't even desire. That's why Christians can be some of the most miserable people on earth. Honestly. Come to Jesus and now you get to feel bad about your life. Come to Jesus and until you die, you're always going to fall short and be a sinner and never compatible with him, but he loves you anyway, but you need to try harder and get to church and we want to see you next week and we hope you're going to make, th- make it through. That is not the gospel. That's painful. Jesus said, take up your cross. What's he saying? In that time of Jesus, where the, between Jerusalem and Damascus, they say the road was lined with crosses. What did that mean? He said, come and die with me. I, came ahead, be, I want you to die because when you die, you will truly live. What does, this, what does that literally mean? For me, it means 
Jaleel, God said to me this six years ago, he said, Jaleel, death looks like death to your ego. What people think about you. What you think about yourself. It's death to your name. The legacy of Jaleel. It's death to independence from him. It's death to resisting him. And it's alive to being found in him. It's alive to his name. It's alive to his kingdom and his purposes. The life of a believer is not a life of continually resisting God or struggling to obey him. In Romans 8, it says this. It says that a man who's born of the Spirit, what does it say actually? Let's turn there. Therefore, He goes on, verse 8, sorry. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. A takeaway for you, you don't have a sin nature. You're compatible with God. A third takeaway is this, is walking according to the Spirit is your nature. I remember thinking for a long time it was harder to walk according to the Spirit than the flesh. I remember one day when I was discovering this and walking, God was like, Jilla, do you know it's easier, it's, it's more natural for you to obey my Spirit than to walk according to the lies of the enemy? Sin. It's external. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And as I started to believe that, that became a reality in my life. Because I wasn't shadow boxing myself now. Sin's still there. It's a reality. Romans talks about it as a being. But it's the same reality that Jesus resisted. He resisted sin from external, not from internal. It's good news for us. Because if we've died, then we've been raised in him, and his life has become our life. Otherwise, you know what? All this language doesn't make sense. We may turn, away, turn up and go home because Colossians 2 is not true. Romans 6 isn't true. We're still sinners and he's something different and we haven't truly been saved and we, need a new, we actually need a Messiah. Let's go back to Romans 6 because there's, there's this, I, I want to nail this and then I want to finish up. Is this, we finish up at 11.30, is that right? <clears throat> Let's go Romans 6. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul says this. He says, we know this has happened, that when we got saved through baptism, we, were, we got baptized into his death. Jalil dies, his old nature, his desires, everything. And I come up, and guess what he gives? He gives me a new heart. Jeremiah, who knows this one? 17.9, we've quoted it over and over and over. We've had revival services around it. We've had repentance services around it. Jeremiah 17.9, revival services are good. You should get people saved through these messages. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, and who can understand it? Imagine if I took the Word of God, a passage, because the devil knows the Word of God. He tried to t- trick Jesus by using the Word of God. But because 
Jesus knew who he was, he didn't fall for the deception of the enemy. But imagine I take it and I spill this lie into believers that their heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, and they can't trust it. Now, what lives within the heart when you're born again? It's called the Spirit of God. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, Jesus prophesied. And it says in John, he says, and he was talking about the heart. They're talking about the Spirit. So in your heart, I could, I'm saying, your heart is actually deceitfully wicked. But what comes out of your heart, the Bible says? The desires of the Spirit, a Romans 8 man. Man, what is that called? Confusion. Jeremiah 31, 31, post Jeremiah 17, 9. The issue with mankind is the heart. Don't get me wrong. The good news of the gospel is the heart gets transformed. That's the good news. For this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. Whoa. Hang on. I have a deceitful heart, but God's now going to write it on my heart. What the heck? There's a heart transformation. I want to tell you, believers, get this. You have no sin nature. Number one. Number two, you are completely compatible with God. I don't have time to go into it, but I was going to go through a couple of verses that says that we've been restored to the image and the likeness of God. We were brought into it through His Son. Genesis says that we were born, that mankind was made in His image and His likeness. The good news is that we've been restored and we've actually had an upgrade because His Spirit now lives within us. You're compatible with the living God. When you approach Him tonight, when you sit down in your room, I want you to dispel the lies that God is up here, that you are water and He is oil. No, you're both water. You completely intermingle. You have full access to God. This is a message of righteousness. Yeah, but Jaleel my, my, yelled at my kids. I did this. Let go of that. Right now, the purpose and the way for transfer, transformation in your life is not by good deeds, it's through belief. And he says this, he says, you are to consider yourself dead to sin. Therefore, what does that mean? It means in your mind, because this has actually been taken in place, it took place at the cross, this is a reality, your mind needs to start to agree with your heart. He says, therefore, in Romans 6, let that so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. It, that word consider means take an inventory of your life. Oh my goodness. Okay, God, I'm so sorry. I can't, I, my heart's pure. I can trust my heart. Whoa, there is so much freedom right now for believers sitting in a living room. Right now, I want to tell you that lie has been broken off you. Your heart is pure. Your heart is pure. It's joined with God. You are one with Him through His Spirit. The heart, the Spirit lives in your heart. It's been joined with the Father's. It got circumcised. There is no now, there's nothing stopping you from, whoa, throwing your Bible on the floor. Oop. 
there's nothing stopping you from encountering him now. Okay. Let's read Romans 6 verse 12. But Jaleel, my life's messed up. He says, you need to consider yourself dead. Sin's still there, but it's external. Just like Jesus, he was tempted in every way, just like you, yet without sin. That's super good encouragement to us now that we are just like him. We're not as mature. We're growing in maturity, but we're not sinners anymore. We're born into him and we're growing up in him. Let not therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. How can you be free from sin? Verse 11 explains how. And when you start to believe that, verse 12 becomes a reality. As long as you're a sinner, you can't repent from something that you actually are. Because when I go here, I'm so sorry, and then I go this way, it's still within me. But if I'm like, God, I'm so sorry for getting angry, and you're not angry, and I'm not angry. My heart's not angry. That's why I feel sorrowful for it. That's why I feel bad about it, because I'm sinning against myself and against you. I'm sorry. That's not who I am. Guess what I get to leave? Repentance means walking away, turning and walking away, leaving that thing there. And I want to tell you that righteousness and understanding righteousness doesn't mean that you, that you get to live however you like. No, you get to live free. And my wife and I have come to this conclusion is that when we are struggling, when issues come up, when sin comes up, I no longer say, God, I'm such a sinner. Could you sort this out in my life? I'm so broken. Would you help me? He's already helped me. I say, God, I'm so sorry. I've forgotten who I am. Would you show me clearly? Would you, would you reveal lies in my mind that are robbing me of seeing clearly just as you see clearly? Because I want to be the 100% person, that pure person that you've made me to be that's already existed within me just a, like a little boy as he's growing up, he's crawling, he's going to walk. And a father encourages him every time he falls down, saying, you've got what it takes, learn and grow. Right? I'm not saying, I don't know, man, maybe you're a dog. You keep falling, I think you're a dog. Sinner and saint, they're completely different species. We fall over and we define that instead of calling people up into what God said, we define them by their fall. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that because he actually knows not your position. He knows your reality. The gospel is not dualistic. Somewhere in heaven, in the, up there in the iron sphere, God sees me as this amazing warrior, but down on earth, it's not a reality. No, he came to earth. He was born of a woman. He is so engaged with this planet. Jewish mindset is not divided. There's no two people walking around. It's, it's holistic. It's complete. It's actual. It's now. This is the reality of your life. I'm going to stop there. But I'm going to go over those three things right now. You don't carry a sin nature. It's time for you to count yourself dead to sin.
And if you haven't truly repented, repented of your old life, of saying, I want to live for myself still, then it's time to do that now. The gospel isn't a little bit of me and a bit of Jesus. It's salvation from me and an invitation to everything he has, into his home, into his life. Sin nature has been removed. Number two, you're compatible with the Lord. You've been made one with him through his spirit. Wow, when you approach him, we're not running around with fig leaves with fear and shame, crying when we meet him in the garden anymore. We can be bare, naked before him, knowing that he's the one that as he is, so we are in this world. He's transformed us. You are compatible with God. This changed everything for me because suddenly I could receive what he always wanted to give me instead of trying to work for something he had already given me. And I can't boast about nothing because every bit of goodness is him in my life and not me trying harder. And therefore, we can't have this authoritarian attitude anymore in the bride. It removes it. Number three. What was the third one? Gosh. We're compatible with God. We're in his likeness. That's right. We're in his likeness and his image. Hey? Sin is, that's right. Sin is on the outside. But also that's maturity. Maturity is the process of growing up into the Lord. So I want to I want to encourage you. This is just we've just started to just hit on a few of the things, the iceberg of the gospel. But let this iceberg come crashing into your life, because all of this produces one thing, and that's communion with Lord. And He loves you so much, and He desires for you to know who you really are. Amen. I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to hand back over to Liam. Thank you, Lord. I, I believe that some of you um, are hearing this message are going, yes and amen. Um, let our hearts not be hardened. It's not a, you've heard it before, you've agreed with it, but somehow your life is not matching with it. Let's be real. What does that mean? That means we need to soften our hearts to the Lord and say, yes, God, I want a fresh revelation again of the truth of the gospel. Lord, would you make me sensitive and excited and free again to the reality of the gospel? Wow, would you, would you remove any lies of my, out of my mind about who I am? Any lies about who you are? Would you reveal them by your spirit? And I believe there's others out there and some of you are like, whoa, this is totally different to anything I've ever heard before. And it's challenging and provoking. I encourage you, be provoked. Be provoked. Search out the Scriptures. Don't just trust what people say. You, you have the Word of God in front of you. And I ask that the, this would provoke you to search the Scriptures, to find the truth. Because the Word of God is the foundation of your life. It's the blueprint. It's the light to your path. And for some of you, you've been waiting for deliverance from things. You've been 
struggling with issues and you think it's internal, it's your circumstances. But the Lord is inviting you to turn to his word and he's going to show you a clear path out, out of your situation. I, I really believe in the minds of people who have been struggling with depression. In Christ there is no depression. You don't have depression, you just have lies that make you believe and then produce results, emotions and things. The Lord wants to set you free. The purpose of Jesus was freedom. For freedom's sake, Christ came to set you free. That's not a process, that's a now thing. As you believe the truth, as you start to let your mind be transformed, to be renewed, to have it washed in the Word. And Liam and I would, if you have any questions, Liam and I would love to chat with you and there's other elders here. My heart is that the bride would live free. Depression is not freedom for the bride. And if you're not a believer, and I'm saying all these things and things are going over your head and you don't understand, I just want to say simply this, is that Jesus has a brand new life for you. He has a brand new life. Maybe you're just a brand new baby and you're like, man, I'm still struggling with drugs. I'm struggling with alcohol or women. I want to tell you the seed of God has been placed inside of you and it's time for you to say yes to the Spirit, the desires of your heart. And to get around other believers and to be encouraged by them. And to be sorted and under, to be, um, undergirded by the truth of God. And to be taught. That's why we needed discipleship, to be taught. God bless you today. Bless your families. Lord, I ask that your spirit would show up in su- such wonders, in such miracles, in such ways that we would have tangible encounters with your spirit in our homes this week that our children would experience revival in the home, that your presence would come and manifest itself amongst us, and you would do some extraordinary things. We welcome you into our homes, God, this week. Your presence to be made manifest and to be made known. In Jesus' name, amen.